Are you happy in your business? Now, I have had my share of emotional ups and downs in my 20 years of being a solo entrepreneur coach. And the patterns I've seen in myself and in my clients is that those downs are usually when I was personally feeling unfulfilled. Sometimes it was because a launch that flopped and sometimes it was just life and had nothing to do with business. But those ups, oh boy, those are the times when I was feeling my most authentic and completely aligned to my purpose or when I just felt like I was rocking that work-life balance. I would be thinking, I could do this all day long and never feel tired. One of my loves is sharing what works for me and what has been working for my clients to achieve this very feeling, full of passion, happiness, peace, and freedom. So I decided to create a private podcast for coaches. Maybe you just want to develop better communication skills that boosts engagement, leads to better results, and makes you feel like you're actually making a difference in the lives of the people you serve. Then you're invited too. We talk about this and more in the UBU private podcast for coaches. Whether you're a mentor, a parent, or run a client-focused business, coaching skills benefit everyone and anyone who wants to communicate in a way that builds relationships. Fall in love with your life and business again. Click the link in the show notes for your invitation to join us right now. Then come back and enjoy this episode. Hello there, Difference Maker. I believe that the best guide that you can have in your back pocket for doing your shadow work is the Enneagram. There is so much in our subconscious that needs to be processed so that we can make like Elsa and just let it go. But there's also an unconscious part of your personality that is a part of your hardwiring. And when you don't acknowledge it or maybe flat out deny it, it can keep you stuck in very surprising ways that perhaps maybe you've never even made a connection to it before. Don Pinsack, host of the Consciously Connected podcast, joins me today to talk about wholeness and integration and doing the work for your personality wellness. It gets a little deep and vulnerable at times, but don't worry. When you put two type sevens together, we manage just fine. <laughs> if you need a little backstory on Dawn, check out episode 16 from season one for more about her healing journey. Let's go ahead and dive into her questions. It's time to stop comparing yourself to others and plug in to what is uniquely you. Welcome to Unbox Your Personality, the podcast for coaches, parents, and mentors like you who understand that your happiness makes you more effective at what you do, bringing out the best in others. I'm Jim P. Higgins, personality strategist and Enneagram fluff remover. Get laser focused on who you are and who you aren't, so you're free to make the impact you were born to make and have fun doing it. Your personality is your business, so get down to business. So today, my special host is Dawn Pinsack. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so excited to dive into your book, Jen. It was, I, I learned so much, so much. 
I'm so excited. Before we get started with that, tell the listeners a little bit about your podcast. So my podcast is for big-hearted, heart-centered visionaries who are really excited about living a more conscious life. A lot of what we talk about on the podcast is how to align with the moon's cycles, which is a lot of fun, and your unique energies. We also talk about different ways to release unprocessed emotions and things that might be keeping us stuck from, you know, getting closer to our big vision. It sounds so cool. <laughs> yes, it's very exciting. I can't wait until my session with you. Yeah, and I can, likewise, I can't wait until my session with you as well. So. The book just came out and we've been chatting uh, already today just about how excited you are about the book. What was your first reaction to the book? My first reaction was that you've taken so much research and so many really, really big, pretty complicated ideas and you you were able to explain them and write them and you know the diagrams and the pictures in a way that was so accessible and so easy to understand so i really appreciate that i'm not really a research person but i love reading research and i love seeing that you know the the brain you know the neuroscience and different things like that and so i just loved how you tied that all in and and really made it accessible to somebody who you know like me is not very research based so i loved it i loved and i loved the stories especially how you mistyped yourself at first i had a very similar experience with the with the myers briggs and yeah it was it was really cool to see how how that impacted you you know and and the breakthrough that happened as a result of finding your true type yeah, I, I honestly believe that most people are mistyped. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually very, very common. And I think that when we don't recognize that that is a possibility, we can really get stuck in a box. And so even just that awareness that mistyping is a thing that provides that curiosity to pursue the self-awareness of, well, is is this really my type? In fact, I mean, I probably question my sevenness weekly. <laughs> like I'll, I'll notice a behavior. Of course, the Enneagram is not based off of behaviors. It's based off of motivations. But in my humanness, <laughs> I will notice a behavior and go, oh, you know, that's very three. Why am I not a three? And then I'll sit down and I'll think about it. And then I'll realize, oh, it's because it doesn't really matter to me if I achieve something. It's more about the experience that happened. I'm trying to think of an example. Well, basically, behaviors are something that you can imagine. It's, it's something that you're doing or even something that you're feeling that's also a behavior as well be, or because of the achievement or at least the uh, pursuit of the achievement. Mm. Yeah. What's the difference between behaviors and motivations? That is a super good question because that, that number one rule of Enneagram typing, that your Enneagram type is based off of motivations and not your behaviors, is the number one rule that is broken because of the very fact that people don't understand the difference. Something that you're doing as a result of, of a feeling that the reaction or the response. So it's something that if you can imagine yourself doing it, then it's a behavior. But motivations don't operate that same way. Motivations just are. They just exist. It's like 
it's like existence being, you just are. <laughs> uh, you can't imagine it. It's, it's a seed and the response to that seed is the behavior. Mm. So can you give me an example of like the difference between, like you mentioned, sometimes you'll see a certain behavior and then you'll question, you know, why am I not a three, right? Like what behavior do you notice that kind of triggers that thought and then the motivation, you know, if that makes sense. So the most, the most recent mm-hmm. example was competition. Okay. So that's normally used to describe a type three behavior of being competitive and wanting to win and achieve. But the fact of the matter is I like to win. <laughs> I mean, I do, but when I don't win, it does not crush my ego like it might for a type three. I really enjoy the experience of competing with other people in a game, for example, versus just having to win it. And so that that's my most recent questioning of my, of my own personality. Um, but when I am teaching it, you know, according to all the other types, I use the example of volunteering. That we all, vol- all Enneagram types volunteer. You go to a volunteer, like, let's say, for example, a race, because that's how our family volunteers most of the time. So when we go to a race, you're going to have all sorts of Enneagram types that are there volunteering. It's the same behavior, but they're each doing it for a different reason. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So like type, for example, type ones are doing it because it's the right thing to do. Like you're supposed to volunteer. This is just an example. Type twos might be thinking, well, it's going to be helpful, right? And they will certainly appreciate the help if I go volunteer for this. Type threes might be thinking, this sure would look good on my resume, <laughs> right? Gotcha. And, and just so on and so forth. If you're familiar with the Enneagram types, you can kind of follow that line of thinking and realize everybody's still volunteering, but they're all doing it for a different motivation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I'm... I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> and it's so funny that you mentioned that you like competition because I also identify as a type seven. I hate competition. And it's funny, my daughter is the same way. Like she actually will play certain sports that that there's not like a winner or a loser. She, she's gotten a little bit better now. She does cross country and things like that. But for the longest time, she only wanted to do like gymnastics or dance or something like that where there wasn't a winner or a loser where everybody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, very cool. So we talked about the really common, I don't want to say challenge, but the really common thing, I can't think of another word with mistyping, right? And, you know, thinking that like on the personality assessments, I know you wrote in the book, um, I can't remember the number, but was it like 50 to 70% of the time it's in 50 to 60, 50 to 50 60. To 60%. So what's the danger? I mean, that's such a huge amount of people who are thinking that there are certain type, you know, and, and this actually happened with me with Myers-Briggs for like 20 years. I thought I was INFP and it turns out I'm ESFP. And I just recently found this out and I was like, oh my goodness. But what's the danger, you know, in thinking that in like putting ourselves in the wrong box or in a box that isn't really truly who we are because there's so much freedom in 
in discovering who we are and, it, you know, the whole journey to get there. But what are some of the dangers that happen? Because I imagine, you know, most people, right, are walking around thinking, you know, I'm a three, but I'm really, you know, something else or I'm a seven, but I'm or I'm a nine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good <laughs> question because there are some consequences when it comes to personal growth. Now, if you're not really seeking to really understand yourself better or to improve yourself in the long run, but maybe just thinking about a current situation and coping with the current situation, it may not have as dire consequences as as your long-term personal growth, your long-term personal development. But the consequences in the short term could be your self-esteem. For example, I have friends that are type eight and we really love to nerd out, especially, you know, on Enneagram stuff, (laughs) Enneagram stuff, psychology stuff, dietary, nutrition, all sorts of things. We just love to just talk about what we've learned and a very kind of type five space, right? We each have a line to the type five, but the type eights line to the type five is in the direction of stress, and the type sevens line to type five is in the direction of security. And we can have healthy responses to, you know, our stress and security, but we can also have unhealthy responses. I have to be really careful to make sure that I am not pulling my type eight friends into an unhealthy space. I have to be cognizant of keeping keeping that type fiveness at a very leadership, intentional, action-based manner of like, now that we know this information, what are we going to do about it? Because if we just sit there and just talk about the facts and never actually do anything about it, that may be good for me, but it may not be good for my friend. What would it look like to pull them into an unhealthy space like what would something like that look like because with that when you talk about the lines that's pretty advanced right with the enneagram so what would it look like to pull somebody into an unhealthy space so specifically for a type eight when type eights are in in that unhealthy range which normally will look like a type five it can look like any number really because behaviors are behaviors (laughs) But the motivation that's driven behind a type eight might look like I'm feeling out of control in my life and I need to withdraw from people and maybe go research, maybe go talk to my designated Enneagram friend to kind of understand this. Type eights have their, for lack of a better term, minions. (laughs) They have their people that they go to. that they trust and can get information from. And so if my type eight friend is coming to me to um, withdraw from the world and get information and just kind of hunker down and not really participate, then I would be condoning that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's a very different conversation based on the, you know, how they're seeking the information. If they're seeking the information from a centered, grounded, healthy spot, or as you mentioned, if they're seeking the information to cope or withdraw or kind of like detail, come into the the shell. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so fascinating. Clenching oh emotionally. Because when when you start talking about facts, okay? Yeah. It's, it's so easy to get information. It's so easy to detach from your feelings about what actually is going on. Except for a type eight, they'll still feel angry. But then that's the only emotion that they're able to attach to. So the compassion, the empathy get lost. And not because it's not there. It's just because they've withdrawn into that type five space. And here I am you know, having a healthy moment going, oh, well, let me sit still for a minute and really think about this. Let me think about all the different horrible things that are going on in the world that I need to pay attention to instead of dismissing. I sit down and start looking at, okay, well, should I be wearing a mask or should I not be wearing a mask? I've just been doing it because it's a cute mask. (laughs) You know, for example, without actually thinking through the process of, is this benefiting me or is this hurting me for example Mm, that's so interesting that's so cool there's there's so much so much insight you know um that we can have when we better understand our type and I'd love to share with you a quick story when we first connected and you really inspired me to go a lot deeper into the Enneagram and we talked about you know me being a type seven and the tendency for type sevens to be a little indulgent, right? And to be in that like cheerleading, yeah, like everything's good, happy type, you know, put on the happy face and just kind of live in the space. And when we had that conversation, I realized that I was engaging in overindulgent activities to bypass and avoid so many of the negative emotions that I wasn't, I wasn't even, I, I actually wasn't really, I wasn't consciously aware that they were there. Right. And so having that conversation with you and then thinking like the overindulgent behaviors, I realized that I was relying on food to numb and to comfort myself. Right. And when we had the conversation and I raised my awareness into that behavior that, you know, I lost 20 pounds right away. Like literally a month, I'm like, what the heck is happening? Because I was able to then, well, I changed a big thing in my life. I started to really go deep into the shadow side and the healing that that needed to happen. The unprocessed emotions, the patterns that were coming up that were ready to be healed, the judgments and the attachments and all of that stuff. And that need for for food to dismiss or to ignore, right, those uncomfortable emotions, then gave me access to this whole range of emotions on the other side. Like there was so much more joy, so much more happiness. (laughs) Excuse me. So much more, like I was able to be present with my family and with my kids. I really started to lean in more to the joy and, and that positivity. And I felt like for the first time in so long, that I could be really authentic. Because even though that's part of who I am, I wasn't accessing that from a healthy, authentic place, you know? And so I, I just wanted to kind of share that story because it was, I mean, it was life-changing to be able to understand my type and then, and then to make that connection between some of my bad habits. Because like, as you say, you know, sometimes we do get into un- an unhealthy space you know, with our, our behaviors. So I just wanted to 
to share that with you because that was so cool. Like it was so cool. And it was just a mindset shift. Yeah. Well, I started to, I started to explore the unprocessed emotion. So I guess like in the book, you know, you have that story about the dam and that when the dam, you know, there's cracks in the dam or things are, you know, functioning properly, right? We can get into a really bad situation. So I think for me, I started to repair the dam and I, and things started flowing so much easier. And that's why, you know, I was able to access the other side so much easier as well, all those positive emotions. So it's like the cracks in the dam and the things that were blocked and the energy that was stuck was now flowing smoothly. It had a better place to go, right? Yeah. yeah. Energy trying to repair the cracks that we aren't paying attention to is able to, to flow more naturally. And I love that. One of the things that I can't remember when I said it, but it was this week. (laughs) <laughs> when you said that now, once you do that shadow work, you're able to access more of the positive aspects of you that, that's more true to what a type seven exudes naturally. When you dig, when you think about the ladder, when, the further you dig to really understand what, what you do in an unhealthy space, the higher you can climb. But it feels like you can only climb, it's like we're limited. We can only climb so high. We can only climb as high as we're willing to dig. And so the, yes. further, we, the further we dig, <laughs> the higher we can climb, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that because I really do believe that my journey being this type as a type four, which honestly, it's, it's still really comical to me that I ever <laughs> believed that I was a type four. It just goes to show how easy it is for us to look at behaviors and say, well, I'm special. I've always believed that I was special because I was the baby. I was the funny one. I was like, you know, well, I was the funny one. That should have been a clue. (laughs) But my journey in believing that I was a type four, it kind of happened at a time when I was processing a lot of deep emotions and not by choice. Like they were just there and I couldn't ignore them. Like, my son has autism. There's no real silver lining I can put on that, right? I had a miscarriage. There was no silver lining I can put on it. What I did do was I, I not with my son, but with the miscarriage, I did avoid it and I did ignore it. And I didn't talk about it. Like nobody knew. Nobody had any idea that we had gone through that situation. And it wasn't until a family member of mine had a devastating experience with, with a miscarriage. And watching her process, her grief over that was actually what made me realize, you know what? I never grieved. And I think it had been nine years at that point. I said, what in the world have I been doing to my body with the lack of energy flow because I never grieved my unborn baby? And so that was what was going on nine years later, grieving through that and handling my children and those kinds of things that I was processing all of that. And it was right here in front of my face when the Enneagram found me. And therefore, type four just stood out like a sore thumb to me. But I do believe that it was, it was that mistyping that gave me permission. It gave me permission because for that green triad, the green types, the emotional yardstick is shame. And 
even though that's their emotional yardstick, any type can feel shame. But what the Enneagram gave me permission to do was to feel the shame of how I handled it and to let go of the shame and embrace my story and embrace what happened to me um, instead of pushing it away and suppressing it and avoiding it so I wouldn't have to deal with negative emotions. That was deep. That's that's so interesting. It was heavy. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, I feel like as a seven, like when I wasn't, I guess, self-actualized, like when I when I didn't really understand that I that I needed to go into the shadow side and heal these patterns. I forget where I was gonna go with this. I get it. <laughs> it was it was something about the the deep, the deep emotions, but that's okay. Let's okay. <laughs> um, isn't it funny deep emotions were like what was I gonna say <laughs> I know I know like deep emotions yuck <laughs> it was something it was something about the sevens wanting to always like avoid that like not not going but I can't remember how to tie it all in at this point but that's okay so yeah do you want to talk about the the oh my gosh I have so many notes here oh one thing that I wanted to point out which I really loved was your explanation of the symbols and the diagrams because one thing I I've never been able to understand that like the circles and you know all of that so I loved the part of the book where you really dove into the symbols and I loved how you talked about the circle being you know representing wholeness and as a type seven one of the ways that I've I've been able to feel more integrated and more authentic and really living my, my truth and being more of who I am was when I dove into those uncomfortable shadow parts. How is it for all of the types, you know, cause like for all of the types to feel that, that integration and that wholeness. Are you feeling a bit disappointed that you haven't finished that project yet? Are the kids' schedules impacting your business? Or are the demands of your business affecting your relationships at home? Maybe you need a magic formula for that work-life balance before your fire gets so dim or it completely burns out. I've been there. There was a point in my life where I was juggling two businesses and homeschooling and had personal health issues. There was barely time to even connect with myself, much less connect with my husband. When I was finally officially diagnosed with ADHD, I felt like that explained everything. I had a new perspective and started approaching things in a new way. So I created a guide containing 20 tips that I personally use, and they have worked for me for helping me stay on course with my goals. Now, you might not have ADHD, but I bet you can relate to having a million distractions during the day. So if you're ready to stop procrastinating or stop being hard on yourself for missing yet another deadline, self-imposed or not, go ahead and download the guide at powercoachgen.com. If you just find one tip from the list that helps you move forward today, you will be so glad you took the time to read it. 
go to powercoachgen.com and download the guide right now. In general, the same pattern, and it is to do the shadow work. The shadow work just looks different for each person. And so, um, so the type seven's tendency to just look at the positive, that's, that's them or us, I should say, that's us sorting our experiences or what we perceive as positive or, or negative. And that comes automatically. Every type, every type has a shadow side that it just looks differently. So like for the type sevens, we just choose to look at the positive. And the negative pieces, our body still experiences it, but our brains just kind of shut off our access to it. That's just automatic. And so for a type seven, it's opening that door, turning on the light on those areas that that we're ignoring. And so for other types, it might look like, so for a type eight who really wants to be strong, particularly in their body. They want to be independent and autonomous. Anytime that they are feeling weak, their brain is shutting access to that. And the disadvantage of not having access to that is that when you inevitably, as a type eight, inevitably are being overpowered, there's no coping mechanisms for that. So just like in your story about, you know, when I started doing the shadow work, I lost 20 pounds automatically because there was this, this energy shift, this mental shift of now I've got coping mechanisms because I'm acknowledging what I need instead of casting a shadow on it. Same thing with for a type nine. Type nines are so self-effacing that they don't want that impact on their body because they're a body type also. They don't want that impact. And so what they do is they fuse and they merge with other people because if I am connected with someone, then there won't be any conflict. But then they're not their own person. So internally, completely unconscious, they're disconnected from themselves. And therefore, that creates a disconnect between the other person that they're trying to merge with. And I mean, we could go around the clock and talk about each of each of these things, but in general, it's looking at the mindset and then shifting your attention from how it may be hurting you or helping you mm. uh, to a more balanced position that is in that average space. It's very neutral. It's not healthy or unhealthy, but what we choose to do with it can be healthy or unhealthy. Like being indulgent in itself is not an unhealthy mindset. It's not an unhealthy behavior. But if we choose to indulge on things that are not healthy for us, then it is. But if we choose to indulge in meditation practices, exercise, you know, those kind of things, as long as it's balanced, right? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the shadow work just comes from that single mindset of looking at your average behaviors, not judging them, but balancing them and then redirecting your attention on what's healthy for me right now. And then checking yourself every once in a while, because we can lose sight of when I believed I was a type four and allowed myself to wallow. <laughs> 
it was okay for me to process those emotions. It was not okay for me to wallow in the emotions, but I gave myself permission because I thought, oh, this is my personality. And I was completely boxing myself in instead of really checking myself and going, okay, nothing good is coming out of this. Nothing positive, right? Um, which is what my dormant type seven, like my body knew I was a type seven. My mind did not. <laughs> And so I'm like, there's nothing positive coming out of this. Maybe this whole Enneagram thing is just a bunch of crock, right? And it was because I was operating from a space that was not natural to me. It was my, not my natural way of interacting with the world. And so once we make that mind shift, we start climbing this mountain. So I have a, another, another Lego piece. <laughs> that didn't make it into the book oh. it's a mountain and okay. so if this is the enneagram diagram at the base of the mountain as we climb our mountain or climb our ladder the more aware we become and our enneagram symbol the one that's within us not the community enneagram symbol but the enneagram symbol that's the microcosm of our own wholeness begins to shrink as we climb up the mountain and then we're able to access all of the other types. So in short, your Enneagram journey, there is a beginning for each type of, cause you have a home base, like for us, it's a type seven. And so our path to integration starts with looking at the arrow that's pointing to the type five and really getting in touch with our type five space. And then from there, continuing the arrow from type five we're going to start looking at the type eight space and eventually we've looked at all of the numbers and we've gotten in touch with each of those enneagram numbers within us and once we get in touch with that that's where empathy and compassion come where we are able to really connect with people okay so i'm i'm like super deep i'm blown right now so we're all born with an Enneagram type that never changes. Is that right? right? Okay. Okay. I thought I remembered that from one of the chapters. But our journey is really to understand and connect with all of the types within us. And then that's where we are now able to connect in a, in a really genuine, heartfelt way with everybody. Yes. Because it's a survival tool first. It's not a relationship tool. I mean, it is, but it's a survival tool first. Okay. Uh, people will say, when I ask, why do you want to study the Enneagram? So as they come into my Facebook group, that's called Unboxing Your Enneagram. And one of the questions is, why is it that you've come to study the Enneagram? And almost, I'd say 90% of the time, people will say to understand myself better and to understand others better. And that answer in itself is not incorrect. In that order, it's actually extremely correct. But when you come to the Enneagram solely because you want to fix your marriage or solely because you want to understand your children, then it's going to be a tougher process for you. I mean, that's blunt, I guess, but it will be a tougher process because if you don't understand yourself and connect to that piece inside of you, you're not going to be able to connect to the other person. Mm, yes. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> so interesting. 
I love how you started the book talking about this idea of personality wellness, right? I've never thought about person, like I've never thought about understanding my personality or learning more about my personality as part of my overall wellness. So I really love how you shed light on that idea. And then later on in your book, it was really interesting how you talked about the difference between the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the unconscious mind. And you described, I think, the bridge by your house. This is the very first time I've ever heard the term unconscious mind. You know, as an EFT practitioner, an LP practitioner, we talk a lot about the subconscious, right? And we do a lot of work with the subconscious, you know, memories and experiences and emotions and things like that. But what role does the unconscious mind play in personality wellness? The reason why I brought the unconscious mind into personality wellness is really to allow people to give themselves more grace about their personality because there are parts of our personality that we can change, but there are parts that we can't. And when you can acknowledge the part that that you can't change, then you're quicker to accept that piece of you and to really understand its purpose. For example, we can be mad that our heart is beating, right? It's like, our heart is beating. How dare it? <laughs> but it's, that's not something that we can change. We can't change. I mean, we can on a very, um, uh, like our appearance, we can change our appearance on a very superficial level, but there's always going to be photographic evidence of what our nose looked like before we had surgery, right? <laughs> and, and so we can change the color of our hair, but there's, there's always going to be the capital T truth of what our natural hair color looks like or what that natural hair color is. And so that was the real purpose of me tying in the unconscious mind with your personality wellness, because it's a physiological aspect of your bodily functions, your body system of systems that is there to keep you alive. So our personalities have a reflex, just like the, the knee-jerk reflex and, and the startle reflex. That reflex is just how your body is wired. And when we understand how our body is wired, then we're able to accept it, give ourselves more grace, and then learn how to work with that instead of against it. Like, I was born with short legs. <laughs> you know, what can I do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. I, I can be bummed about it or I can work with it and, and learn or work around it, learn how to still do the things that I want to do despite my vertical challenged legs. <laughs> yes. I love that. And then when we, when we accept those parts of us, then there's so much healing and so much growth and so much expansion mm -hmm. that comes with that acceptance as well. Okay. That, I love how you tied that in actually. That's, that's awesome. So another thing that I wanted to bring up, Jen, you talked in the book about space repetition. And it's so funny how I had an experience yesterday where something similar kind of this, this idea kind of came to the, the forefront. So my son is six in kindergarten and he, we've been home for a month on quarantine. So he's, he has just packets of, you know, worksheets to do and different things. And he is really, really giving me a hard time about a lot of the writing work 
Now he does have OT. He does have a, a hard time with fine motor and stuff like that. And so I was really struggling with, you know, like kind of forcing him or making him do the, the letter H 10 times, do the letter G 10 times or whatever. And I decided, I'm like, you know what? I know he knows how to write the letters, so I'm not going to push it. You know, maybe he writes one or maybe, you know, whatever. And so I, I was talking with his OT yesterday and I'm so glad I brought this up because she said, she's like, I would much rather he does, you know, one or two letters correctly. And then maybe you know, a couple hours later, he does those same letters again. Or the next day, he does the same letters. But she said, I, I don't recommend making him write, you know, 10 letters for the practice if he's doing one or two correctly, because it gets messier and messier and messier as he goes. And, you know, and, and so I really, I, I, I was really um, excited. I was really grateful that I asked her that question. And then I, you know, opened up your book later on and I saw the space repetition and I was like, wow, that's really interesting that 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 idea came came up to it so i'm really curious you know with learning and with the the personality wellness you know how this really comes into place yeah and and i love that she said that because it's a lot of what i did in my classroom too the doing it well once their body will remember that even that's why hand over hand is such a good practice to do because even though you're the one that's moving their hand to do it well, to create an H very, very well, their body is the one that's absorbing the muscle memory of, of doing that. And so in the book, when it comes to personality wellness, when we are climbing that mountain, we get the endurance we get the the practice. The more we practice checking ourselves and owning our emotion, owning our feelings and renewing our mind, the more we're able to engage quicker. The more repetitions we have, the quicker the retrieval of being able to engage in in the correct way, quote unquote, correct way. Um, Because it's always going to be correct for the current circumstances, which is why I'm air quoting that. The more we practice becoming self-aware, the easier it becomes to be self-aware. And so, and then that, that builds into our personality wellness. Now, for some Enneagram types, that's a slower process than it is like for the slow pace than it is perhaps for the fast pace, but it doesn't mean it's less than, it's just different. It's just different. Like we, we wouldn't judge one child who's super awesome at math or handwriting versus the other child who is not. We love them the same, right? They're, they're just different. And we can also take another talent where I can say, well, this child is more adept at, at doing fractions. I can't think of an example, but you get my point. <laughs> right. um, and so really understanding that that's why I w- I'm excited that you pointed that out because I think really understanding how our body functions and how our brain develops really affects that self-talk that we have to ourselves of saying I'm broken or something's wrong with me. No, you are functioning normally. You just need to do it a couple of extra times. And our personality gives us clues on where we are. Are we on track or are we not on track? 
If you're slow paced and you're going at a steady pace, guess what? You're on track. It doesn't matter if you're not getting it as quickly as the person next to you. They're on track too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I love how you said, you know, the more we practice self-awareness, the easier it becomes because I definitely have noticed that, especially in the last couple of years in my journey, you know, in my personal journey and healing journey. Um, and the, the Enneagram gives us so much more awareness, mm -hmm. right, into, into those different parts of us. So thank you so much, Jen. I'm really enjoying the book. There's so much amazing content. I can't wait to keep diving in. I feel like, you know, I have to kind of dive in a little bit, absorb. I have tons, like pages of notes and, you know, as I'm, as I'm learning more and more about this. But this is so fascinating. And I'm so grateful that you're taking this concept and writing and in such a, an engaging way, you know, for us to really understand this on a much deeper level. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. I am so grateful for what the Enneagram shows me on a daily basis. A minutely basis? Is that a thing? But what it shows me about myself and little things that just used to escape my awareness, my, escape my attention. It's not all heavy because I've been able to process a lot of the heavy stuff. And like Dawn said in her experience, my eyes have been open to so much more joy and positivity in my life. I used to use the word oppressed to describe my life during some of my more dramatic years. But in truth, I was really oppressing myself, my true self. Now, if you're ready to be your true self, I want to invite you to come join a community that gets that and will support that and can become your tribe like all of these lovely co-hosts that have come and joined me during season two. The Unbox University grand opening is happening February 22nd. And I want you to get on that communication list to be a part of something that's going to transform lives, not just yours, you're not only going to be inspired, but you'll become inspiring to those that you lead and that you mentor. Join us at go.unboxenneagram.com slash grand. Together, we're going to support you as you unbox yourself and unleash your power. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing the Unbox Your Personality podcast. To learn more about yourself, go to powercoachgen.com. Find out how you are different so you can make your difference. There's a swooshy sound. The, the furnace just turned on. <laughs> I'm surprised that, that you can hear that in the recordings. Oh, I don't know if it's in the recording, but I have... I have super sensitive ears, so okay. I can hear it. But I get distracted by my own fan. So I'm over here sweating just so I don't have to hear the fan. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay, so we can cut, the, cut it there. Yeah, this is, oh my gosh, Jen, that was, that was so interesting how you tied that story into the, the, the idea of like the more repetitions with self-awareness. And that was so good. And that really, that was like, because I started to say something, I was like, Go ahead and tell your story. <laughs> I love stories and making connections. It's my favorite. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jen. I am so, so excited about where you're going with this book.
It is so amazing. I can't wait. I'm going to do a post on social media. Can we do a screenshot, a screenshot of our... Of me just getting today. out of the shower. The, and this looks like pajamas, but it's not. <laughs> I have a question for you. Is there a reason you have a pan? Like a pan on your bookshelf? A pan? What is on the top of your bookshelf? It's a bowl. It looks like a pan. It's a bowl. Oh, a bowl. Oh my gosh, that's so funny because there's something behind it. There's like a gray and it literally looks like the hand the pan. Oh, that's the, oh, okay. Well, that's a pull. <laughs> there, that, does that change it? Because that's a door. Oh, it must be the top of the door. And that's what <laughs> it was. It was like a frying pan. I, I was like, I wonder why she has a because we actually have pots that look very similar. That's better. Okay. I wonder how many people have thought she's got a Friday. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Oh.